Hey everybody, it's Andy. I want to let you know that this episode was recorded as a live stream broadcast with our guests, Oklahoma City City Council members Joe Beth Hammond, James Cooper, as well as Laura McDevitt, who is one of the general counsel for the city council. Those are different spellings of the word council, in case you didn't pick up on that. And also Elizabeth Siddler from Generation Citizen, who was involved on the citizen side of the discussion about proposing changes to the city charter of Oklahoma City. So I apologize, it was a difficult live stream. Our internet connection was somewhat unstable, so some of the audio is not uh, as good as usual. I appreciate your patience and hope that you find this episode both informative and useful. Enjoy. Pod this live. Hello, everybody. I'm. Thanks so much for being here. I'm joined by Scott. Hello, sir. What is up, man? How are you? I'm adequate. Perfectly adequate. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, also, Bailey Perkins. Hello, Bailey. Thanks for being here. Hey, everybody. Andy. And we have a number of special guests that will be joining us in just a moment. The focus of this episode, as some of you. Uh, may know is that we're going to be discussing the proposed changes to the Oklahoma City Charter. I got my absentee ballot in the mail yesterday or the day before, and I have the pink part is all of the proposed changes. I've got it right here on my keyboard as we talk about it. Uh, and so we want to start, I mean, before we begin, um, we want to acknowledge that this week has been burdensome um for lots of folks right and i'm sure for lots of our listeners uh, many people are grieving the passing of justice ruth bader ginsburg um hopefully some of you were able to tune in to the live stream of the vigil that the oklahoma women's coalition uh, held on tuesday night at the capitol um and uh we broadcasted on our channels as well because um, not everyone could get out there uh, and then certainly also the latest decision and news regarding Breonna Taylor's murder um, and this, the lack of justice that has happened there. Um, it's been a difficult week in lots of ways. Um, Governor Stitt did order the state's flags, state and national flags, to fly at half-staff in Justice Ginsburg's honor. Uh, which is a big deal. She's the first woman and the first Jewish person to lay in state at the at the U.S. Capitol, which I think is very significant. Um, and uh, certainly uh, vigils and other actions that have been happening in Oklahoma and across the country um, related to the the news about Breonna Taylor's case. So, um, so there's that. Also on Tuesday, Tuesday was a busy day. Tuesday was also National Voter Registration Day. Um, so there's been a whole string of voter registration events um, around the country and here in Oklahoma. A lot of organizations, civic leaders, um, held events this week. And it is super important to register because it's a big election, right? Like we're elected president and House of Representatives and all of the state house and, you know, a third of the Senate and all these things. 
Um, here in Oklahoma, we have the changes to the city charter uh, in Oklahoma City. We have two state questions, a bunch of judges, um, county races, you know, everything else varies on where you live. Please vote. You still have time to register. Uh, in Oklahoma, you must have your registration in by October 9th. And if somehow you have stumbled upon our podcast about Oklahoma politics and you're not registered, we need to talk uh, because that would be exceptional in several ways. You you need to message one of us on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or something or in our comment section so that we can physically pick you up and take you to register to vote. Um, right. We cannot we cannot register for you, but we can we can arrange for you to do it. Uh, and also, there's still time to sign up for your absentee ballot as well, so you'll have options to vote. And so I got my absentee ballot in the mail um, recently, and you have until October 27th to request that. So I got all of these sheets of paper in my envelope. <laughs> and so you'll want to know what all is going to be on your ballot. You'll want to know how to package your envelopes and what to do with all of that information. So go ahead and request that absentee ba ballot in advance. Yeah, and, and I can't emphasize that enough, Bailey. Like, you have until October 27th. Please, for the love of all that is good and pure, do not wait until October 27th. If you wait until October 27th, you may not have your ballot before the election, number one. And even if you do, you may not be able to get it back to the post office in time or to the county election board in time. And by law in Oklahoma, they have to have, it's not postmarked by election day, right? In Oklahoma, they have to receive your ballot by the time the polls close on election day, which in Oklahoma is 7 p.m. So you have like, like if you're already registered and you're planning on voting absentee and you haven't requested your ballot, please do that today. If you're not registered, please like register post haste. Stop listening. Come back. It's recorded. You can listen to it later. Go register right now. Come back. Finish the podcast, and then request your absentee ballot. We can. Uh, we'll even put the link for you in the chat in just a second. Um, if you are watching this on Facebook, YouTube, or maybe even Periscope, I think, and you have questions or That's comments along thing. the way, I, it is. Periscope's I, I still around. I had no Apparently, idea. we. Yeah. For Twitter, yeah. Uh, I think right. Twitter bought it, actually. Yeah. Maybe that's why it's still there. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, uh, if you have questions or comments along the way, you can put them into the the live chat there, and we can see them, and we can add them. So, like, Jana Harkins said, hey, Bailey. And we say, hey, Jana, Hello. thanks for being here. Yes. Uh, also, how colorful was the ballot this year? This is very exciting. The instructions are much better than they were back in June. Um, the election board has heard our cries in the gnashing of teeth and has made some appropriate changes, which is good. Okay. Um, oh, I do want to say, we're, and we will have Elizabeth Seidler from Generation Citizen on in just a moment, but regarding Voter Registration Day, uh, gener uh, Generation Citizen and the League of Women Voters of Oklahoma County partnered up for a really rad voter reg drive yesterday on Thursday at all 11 high schools, public high schools in Oklahoma City public schools. Um, I went to Northwest Classen, which is my neighborhood high school here. And uh, we had two grownups and two students. And so we divided up that we would register the adults and they could register students and uh, that are 17 and a half or older. And we had, I don't know, six or seven that came through during the day. Um, we did it during the meal pickup uh, in the middle of the day. 
um, it was really great and it was refreshing to me I will be honest to talk to some high school students who had like organized their part on their own they had connected with some national organizations to get materials and instructions on how to do it uh, and so it was a really great event and I also want to lift up uh, Councilwoman Nikki Nice because she's been organizing voter registration drives throughout uh, her ward, Ward 7, in the east side of Oklahoma City. And so I know there was one on National Voter Registration Day, and then there's been several before, and there'll be some, I think, through uh, October 9th when the registration deadline occurs. And so just wanted to give her a shout out for um, hosting those drives around uh, the east side of Oklahoma City. Right on. Excellent. It's and the Thunder, the Thunder's been doing registration. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's just been so many entities engaged in, in civic engagement. I had the opportunity earlier this week uh, to talk with Langston University's uh, athletic department. So I had 140 folks um, tuning in about how to get registered and how to early vote and all the information that they need. And so I think Oklahomans are really fired up and there's lots of opportunities if you haven't registered yet to connect with the right folks to get you registered. See, civic engagement can be fun. Um, all right. Well, on that note, let's get into the meat of what we're talking about today, because this is a lot of stuff. I know we've had tons of questions individually and um, and collectively. Thank you to listeners who submitted questions in advance, even. Um, we are going to bring on to the stream right now Councilwoman Jobeth Hammond. Hello, Jobeth. Thank you for being here. Sorry I added you right when you took a bite. That's the way it works. This is why I finished my cookies first. <laughs> we'll uh, also bring on Councilman James Cooper. Hello. Thanks for being here. Um, and then also from the city, Laura McDevitt, who is one of the council, general counsel for up there. Hello, Laura. Thanks for being here. And uh, and then Elizabeth Seidler, I mentioned earlier. Hello, Elizabeth. Let's change our format. Ooh, thanks for being here. Elizabeth, do you know how many people we registered in total yesterday? We registered about 60 folks to vote yesterday and talked with several hundred more who were already registered to confirm that they had a plan to vote. And so I think, yeah, registered 60 folks, but got to talk to a lot more. Yeah, it was really, I like, at some point, the students at, at our location kind of took over, like approaching all the vehicles and, um, and talking to people. And it was fun overhearing some of the conversations of people like, hey, are you, are you registered to vote? And everyone's like, yes. They were like, okay. Uh, and so they even went out. They got a little bored. And so they went and just canvassed the neighborhood and like left flyers on doors and were knocking. And I was like, you go ahead. That's really good. And they brought burritos, which was even better for me. But that's. <laughs> Joe Beth, it's Savannah. Yeah. Ah, see, that's who it was. Yes. Shout out to Savannah oh, and her friend. Sorry. Uh, no, I'm, I was like trying to. Savannah is one of my youth council members for this year's uh, youth council. So she's all about the civic engagement and she's like such a go getter. So I'm so excited to hear that. I love it. All right. Um, Bailey, do you want to kick us off with uh, our first question for our panelists? Absolutely. So we are grateful to have you to get information about uh, the changes to the Oklahoma City Charter. Uh, there's this is the first time in a long time that we've had any changes to this charter. And so I know so many people uh, need to be aware of 
what's going on with it and and what they're going to see on their ballot to make an informed decision. So thank you for your time today. So our first question is, what is the city charter? Like, what does that mean uh, to the uh, residents of Oklahoma City? So we'll start with Laura, since you are our attorney on staff, if you want to give us some insight on, on what the city charter is. Sure. So it's um, the shortest answer really is that it is the governing document of the city. It is the equivalent of the city's constitution. So it is only able to be changed by a vote of the people. Council can't change it. Um, council can recommend changes like they have here, but ultimately it is up to the voters of Oklahoma City how the charter reads. Have we ever changed the charter before? Oh, yes. It, it happens fairly regularly. I think most recently, that uh, was maybe a year or two ago, there was an amendment uh, to allow for teachers because there was a prohibition on uh, dual office holding and dual employment between different governmental entities. And it was revised so that you could be both a teacher and a council person. Shout out to uh, Councilman James Cooper, who's here with us here with us today. So you you said it can be changed by a vote of the people, right? So like, as I recall, the U.S. Constitution, like it's quite a cumbersome process to get people to vote to change for it. Is this like we propose changes or someone proposes changes and it's 51 percent and it changes or is it two thirds or like how does this how does this work? It, it is just a majority vote. Oh, so simple. So there's not a you know, super majority or two thirds or anything like that required. And no one can filibuster it. <laughs> right. Okay. All right. Delightful. So who drafts these proposed changes? So uh, Mayor Holt had appointed the, the Charter Review Committee and they had been meeting since I think it was maybe February or so, January, I can't quite remember, um, and had been going through some recommendations that both city staff had thought needed to be updated in the charter, and then also the, the council members. So uh, then our office kind of took those and the municipal council and I helped draft the language to actually facilitate uh, the changes that uh, they wanted to see. But as I understand it, those changes can also be proposed by just residents of the city. Um, and, and I think it's by a petition process, those sorts of changes can yeah. Get proposed to be at be added by council to a vote. Yeah, I'm not as familiar with that process, but yeah, yeah, I don't see why there couldn't be anything. You know, a resident couldn't contact their council representative, and then their council representative introduce something um, at, at an agenda item at council to to call. Just similar to what what happened with the most recent charter amendment for um, the dual office holding. Well, so. I wanted to ask Elizabeth about that because I know you were involved kind of early. How did how did you get involved in this process? Instagram. Uh, Councilman Cooper posted about um, the, the sort of the next upcoming meeting of the review committee. And so I spent the weekend just like reading the charter and made a list of like, what are the things that, you know, could be different? Um, and then put out a poll, I think, just like, on Twitter, just like a Google form, and had people check the boxes of like, which of these things do you think are a good idea? And check, 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 check. So I took that information, attended the next meeting, and I emailed Laura about a variety of things. It was like, I would like to do this. Does this make any sense? Is this possible? How could we, you know, like, how would we word that? And um, 
And some of it was stuff that they were already considering, like gender neutral language throughout the charter, referring to council members or other city staff. Um, and then others were things that didn't end up making it into charter changes, but then got carried by um, Councilman Cooper as just changes to code, um, a 20 day citizen input process in the budget, for example. But yeah, I just read it and then attended the meeting. and. That was, that was pretty much it. So, so we have the city's constitution, essentially, that needs to be updated from time to time. And it sounds like it's a fairly straightforward process to do that. One can even initiate it on the Instagrams, as it were. Um, so maybe the meat of this is, is kind of our next question. And I don't know, I don't know how we want to do this, if we want to round robin it or everybody kind of chime in. Um, what are the proposed changes i've heard a lot of words about like modernization uh i know that there's some stuff in the charter that like was in conflict with state law that had to be resolved there's it seems like there was a lot of a lot of kind of work under the hood that needed to be done um so what are we what are we voting on well and maybe can we go in the order of the propositions themselves yeah that, so maybe sure. start with like proposition one What's Ooh. going on there? What does that mean? And then go from there. Councilman Cooper, you want to? <laughs> hey there. Uh, thanks for the invite. Also, uh, Elizabeth, I, like that description of like <laughs> the post on Instagram saying, hey, anyone have any ideas? And you're like, I'll take it from here, everybody. War two. That's who we got here, it's what we do. I love that story. <laughs> um, so yeah, the first one deals with um, just the general, some language around the general election. Uh, so like to give you an example, uh, when I ran for office uh, for the 2019 election, the uh, I started that summer before knocking doors and then the election was February 12th. Uh, Councilwoman Hammond remembers it well. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so then the question um, was if in either of our elections as council members, if we did not uh, secure a 50% uh, majority of the electorate, then we would see the other closest, let's say, let's say you know, in my instance where I had five uh, folk in that election, uh, if none of us secured 50% or higher, then the top two vote getters would face off again just a few months later. And so what this proposal does is it sort of clears up some of the language uh, surrounding what we call those two elections. And Laura, uh, would you uh, amend anything of what I just said? And actually, and then if not, just kind of take it from there. No, I, I think that pretty well captures it because I, I think the way that the charter is written now, that is called the primary. And that kind of leads people to think that there is going to be a general election when that's not necessarily the case. So we want to clarify that, you know, if this is the general election and then there's potentially a runoff, but don't don't think that you don't need to vote in the primary election. That's that's critical. And I you know, this was something that, um, you know, I didn't propose it, but it was something the um, committee members, um, you know, considered. 
And as they did, it reminded me of an interaction I actually had at the doors where I met someone and they're like, yeah, you seem great, but you know what? Like, this is the primary and, and I, I, I don't want to give my support one way or the other yet. Like, Whoa, but I, I had not thought of you in that way. I, I was in it to win it that first night. Like, I didn't want to head to a runoff. Um, I, it was very tiring knocking the doors and then teaching the middle school from eight to four. Well, actually, teaching from eight thirty, then finishing at four, then going to knock those doors. Um, you know, I was I was really hoping that we could, together with the voters, uh, secure a victory that February twelfth uh, for my own mental and physical health. Uh, you didn't want to keep you didn't want to keep going for another two months. <laughs> Look, I would have for funsies. I, I, I don't know if for funsies is the word I would use, but I I would have kept going. I absolutely would have. I'm already thinking about the door knocking again. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, well and thank I want to highlight. Oh, I was I want to highlight that part of the reason that this is necessary is that city council races are nonpartisan, right? So we don't have primaries for each party. Um, so the election is the election, and then a runoff if it's necessary based on that election. Um, so it makes sense. And as we go along, and Bailey, I'll kick it to you in just a second, but um, we had someone that asked um, if we could uh, explain who proposed each change or proposition. I, I don't know if you guys know that information. It's not on the ballot, which is probably why people want to know where this stuff came from. So if anyone has that info or think that's helpful in sharing as we go along, please. Or was it one of municipal council? Do you remember if it was Mr. Kenny Jordan? I don't actually remember who specifically raised this issue. I don't know if it may have been the city clerk, um, but I'm, I'm not 100%. Could be, because the city clerk was involved in this process too. And, and a lot of, I mean, the overwhelming majority of these were ones that either the city clerk raised to the committee members or someone from municipal council, kind of similar to the process where Elizabeth went and read the charter you know, people like our city clerk and our municipal council, they're very, very familiar with it and have encountered in moments where it's like, oh, wow, some clarity here would really help guide uh, everybody. So but I can't remember who, who particularly brought this up. Like I said, someone brought it up and it triggered that memory in my head of going, oh, yeah, door knocking. I remember, you know, and needed to sleep a long time. Is, is there a limit to like how often this can be done or like, can we like so we could do it again at the next election if we wanted to, right? Like so, because I was I, as you're explaining that, it made me wonder like, is it a deal where it's like, oh, oh, we're changing the charter, and I've had this on my back burner for three years, but if we're going to vote on other charter changes, let's do it now, or like you can change it any, any time if you need to. It it could be at any time. I think there's specific uh, time frames which I can't recall off the top of my head for when council needs to call for an election and how all that works in order to make the you know certain election deadlines for filing because the city clerk has to then compile those ballot summaries that are published um and also there needs to be the the textual amendments need to be published in the journal record and so there's a lot of those kinds of procedural hurdles for when we can actually get something on a ballot so just as long as we're able to meet those um, I don't think there's a limit to the number of elections we could have on the charter. So I think that's an important piece to raise for our listeners is that whenever you see changes uh, that you want made to our city charter, that could happen throughout the year. And you don't have to wait until an election 
to talk with somebody about something that should be changed in our city charter. So build a relationship with your city council members so that you can weigh in in an opportunity to make whatever necessary changes uh, that help advance and, and make our city work better. And so earlier I mentioned that the changes don't happen, ha happen as often on the charter, but uh, as we see, it's it could happen you know, each year or even different elections if we need it to. Um, but I think having nine propositions is something that is pretty unique around this time. And so thank you all for being willing to even talk about all nine of these today. So we talked about uh, the first proposition. Let's move on into uh, the second proposition and what that means and who may have proposed that. Do you want me to take the lead on that on that one? Go for it, Laura. Does Councilman Ammon or, or uh, Councilperson Cooper want to? Okay. Uh, so this is the one that, that would change the residency requirements. Currently, the charter provides that you need to be a resident of Oklahoma City for three years prior to filing. And it seems as though you know, we've done some research into case law across the country. And three years is probably a little too long to really be justifiable. And so we wanted to, to shorten that to what we think is a stronger uh, position of one year. And we're also changing, proposing to change uh, the requirement for ward residency to clarify that also so that it right now we've been falling back on a state provision, uh, which I think is six months. But now this would make it for one year that you've been a registered voter in the ward where you're wanting to uh, file for candidacy. And I think that was something that our I believe our office had proposed because we had concerns about whether or not the three years was something that would be upheld. That's my memory as well, that it was from municipal council. Um, and specifically, the reason we're talking about going way second is just going to, what will hold up, right? If someone challenges it, then it's not really an important. Like, in other words, are we putting a, an undue burden on a resident who wants to serve in office? And previously, you didn't have to live in the ward, in, or at least be registered to vote in the ward for which you wanted to run for a council seat? Is that? No, you needed to, to live there, I think, for six months. And okay. then actually been some, some litigation over that particular issue. So and how to through residency and, and those things. So we wanted to. And it's my, is it my understanding that that litigation was specifically the, the crux of the argument was that the state law and our charter were in disagreement. And so we had been just falling back on state law as practice, but but that there's just that discrepancy. Our office wasn't directly involved in that litigation. It was between the two candidates. So I don't know what their specific argument for that they made. That very well maybe the All right. So we've got the first first proposition we're looking at like just the what we're, what we're calling the elections and about when you can put notice. The second proposition, we're looking at essentially where candidates have to live and for how long before they can declare candidacy, right? Is the like the down and, the down and dirty of it, I guess. Um, what is proposition three? What's the third proposition? Um, and what's the purpose of that? Councilwoman Hammond? Yeah. 
I'm honestly, I'm going to keep deferring to Laura and okay. Councilman Cooper because I was not involved in the development of these. So I'm still not as conversant in them as sure, I would like sure. Well, then who? Well, how about we start with Laura for the baseline descriptions of each of the propositions? And then Councilman Cooper, if you could weigh in um, on what it means in um, what it means to the residents of Oklahoma City. Sure. Yeah. So, what, uh, Laura, what do we have on Proposition Three? So, Proposition Three changes the amount of time that Council has to call for a special election if there's a vacancy in the office of mayor. And this makes it consistent with the same amount of time that we have for calling a special election if there is a vacancy in a, a council member position as opposed to mayor. And right now, I think it's it's 15 days, but council only meets every other week. So we're proposing to, to change that to 30 days. Yeah, and th this was definitely one the um, municipal council brought to our attention. Um, and, you know, I, Laura, would you say it was more of like a, for the uh, just timeliness of the transition in these sorts of moments and not letting, not letting that seat just sit vacant for an extended period of time? Or was there a specific legal reason why we were concerned in that way? Well, it, it was going to potentially cause a problem with the agendas because with council only meeting every other week, if there's only 15 days to call a special election, and the vacancy happens on the Monday before a Tuesday council meeting, we're going to have a difficult time meeting that 15-day time frame. So uh, we wanted to extend that to be consistent with council and to, to, to not potentially violate the charter. That seems like a reasonable idea to me. <laughs> um, any other comments on... Proposition three? No, hearing none. Proposition four then. Laura, do you want to take a stab at that one? Sure, that one is just simply that how frequently council meets. I think there's some language in there now about uh, requiring them to meet every Tuesday or is required by ordinance. Anyway, this is just clearing it up to match our current practices. It is always interesting to me as a citizen of this world um how often like rules laws statutes like say one thing and then actual practice is something different and this applies to like bylaws for organizations and how everything happens right like we've all been a part of some organization church something where you're like well how do we do x and then you like look it up in the bylaws and it's like oh that's not at all how it's ever happened um, or that hasn't happened that way for 20 years we should we should update these things so well, and especially as time changes and technology changes and other things, so those types of changes are, are necessary in ensuring that our council and our city can be timely and do things in ways that make sense for the moment that we're in. So, And I would add to that point, just as a, as a resident who has participated to a certain extent in this process, that even participating in it a little bit that I think that it feels like because it is 
it is legal language ultimately that there's some sort of hurdle or ba barrier of knowledge or expertise, which on a certain level is true, but that's what our wonderful municipal council's office is for, is to make that language actionable in a legal context. But the documents are living and are, are need to be responsive to um, our residents and their experiences. And so I think starting to think about our governing documents in that way is just a helpful thing that for, for residents to do. Like start, start thinking about the laws as living and responsive. Um, and, and that may change the way that you think about problems too, right? Like recognizing one's own agency to respond in, in, a, in, a, in a policy sense, advocating for some change in, like, in this case. Um, the charter. I would just say that is incredibly well said. And leave it to someone from Generation Citizen to like make that case, you know? And coincidentally, uh, this month in my arts and human values course at OCU and then my English comp classes this month, they are reading Boomtown about our city's history and comparing it by week to a PBS documentary on the Italian Renaissance and the Medici family. And episode three focused specifically on the Protestant Reformation. And I have to tell you all, so I, it's five classes I'm teaching this semester, five. And in all five classes, as we've concluded that documentary and I asked them, what was the most fascinating or shocking thing you took from these four episodes? And several of them cited the Protestant Reformation, um, not necessarily because they're Protestant students, uh, but they were so shocked. They, they did not, and it was the same for me when I watched the documentary 10 years ago, where there, when one realizes that, you know, for over a good thousand years, um, from the creation of the human, uh, the, the, the Christian Bible uh, through that Protestant Reformation, that it, to be able to read it for the for the for an individual to 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 know how to read, number one, to have received an education on how to read, and two, to be able to read, kind of back to Elizabeth's word, the governing document for them. The Bible was the governing document for most all of Western Europe. And that was denied to them. And my students were just shocked, just really, I mean, I don't know, maybe because you're an adult and you re-encounter that moment in human history, it kind of takes on this extra weight. And yeah, agency was sort of the, the key word for us in, in those discussions we had in class where it's just like, if we don't read our founding documents for ourselves, whether it's the US constitution, the state constitution, God help us, the state constitution, I and mean, to understand it's very, very lengthy. Um, and then our city charter, if we don't read these texts for ourselves, we're relying on somebody else's interpretation of those texts for us. And we have removed our sense of agency, our individualism. We've removed those brains from our heads to be critical thinkers and arrive at our own conclusions about things. You know, it might sound like I'm just you know, going off on a tangent, but I will note Halloween's coming up. And I do believe Martin Luther nailed those 95 arguments against the Pope at the time uh, to the church door on, uh, what was that holiday? Anyway, um, it was Halloween. Yeah, you know, all, all Hallows Eve. So no, Elizabeth, you're, I'm so thankful you said what you said. And I just wanted to interject, you know, from my own experiences teaching right now, where, where I think about it. And I thought about it the whole time we were going through this process. I mean, this is your government, right? For our listeners, like it takes all of us being engaged and not just 
um, those that we elect in order to make the changes that we want to see. So let's transition into Proposition 5. Laura, can you give us some insight on that one? Sure. So I think this one was proposed by one of uh, the council members that was serving on the Charter Review Committee. I think it was maybe Councilman Stonecipher. Um, his concern was that um, the way that the charter is written, so just maybe to step back a second. So we have a city manager form of government that the mayor and council oversee the auditor, the municipal counselor, and the city manager. And the city manager has control over most of the city employees. So police, fire, you know, water, everybody reports to the city manager if they're not part of the municipal counselor's office or the auditor's office. So the way the charter had been written or is written still is that there are limits on how the council members can interfere with employment decisions and whether or not an employee is going to get reprimanded or fired. Um, it's to kind of, it helps to um, kind of insulate the day-to-day uh, -day operations of municipal government from what might be political changes that happen more frequently. And so he was concerned that the way it was written, that he, if he had a concern about a city employee's performance, he wouldn't be able to take that directly to the city manager to say, hey, there, there's somebody who's not doing their job or um, we're having this certain problem. Because if he would have done that, um, he would have been uh, guilty of a, a misdemeanor. So this changes and allows for the council members to have more communication with the city manager while the city manager is still retaining ultimate um, control and authority over most city employees. Uh, Councilwoman Hammond, I would maybe turn to you on this, like, and I'll speak to it as well, but just to hear from you, like, what has your experience been like over the last year in office whenever we do hear you know, uh, residents with their concerns um, or whatever it might be when it comes to, you know, just um, the city employees and, and how to walk that line of not, you know, um, overstepping our boundaries. Yeah, I think um, I honestly do. When I think about this change, I think it's helpful because I think it doesn't take away the um, that that line of, you know, just because I have like perceived power and there's someone I don't like that works in the water department that I'm going to, you know, tell the city manager what to do about that person. But I, I have received and do sometimes receive complaints about, um, about employees. Um, there was one instance and I won't say all of it, but where I had asked some, someone from staff to go to a neighborhood um, or uh, meeting and I heard back from the neighborhood uh, organization that they believed that the person that came was intoxicated. And um, like while they were there at the meeting. And, um, and so I was, I just went to our council staff and said, I don't know what to do with this information. <laughs> Cause in, in, in the way that the charter is written, um, you know, I need to, I need to be able to provide that feedback, but I can't, you know, I, I can't have any, control or interaction with personnel matters. So um, staff was able to take that and, and and take that to along to staff. So I just was like, I'm going to connect you residents, neighborhood organization with staff, and you're going to go uh, address that. But this kind of just, I think, 
provides a little more clarity around situations like that to where the fact that I had that knowledge and spoke with, you know, our uh, city council staff about that and, and how that information gets relayed to the city manager, um, I think makes it clearer that I'm, I, you know, that I'm not, I'm, tr- I'm not trying to like break any rules or, or, you know, pull any strings. Um, but, but I just want to be able to convey this information um, and and so often residents see us as the messengers to staff um, and to the city manager. And so I think um, I think that's like one one example where this kind of change helps just streamline and, and, and I think clarify that kind of relationship, because even if I provide that information to the city manager and say, you know, these residents experience this thing you know, from there on out, I cannot be involved. Um, you know, I can't say, okay, I want to report on that, per-, you know, I want a personnel report on that person. Um, but but if nothing else, my involvement in that situation um, and in relaying that information is just allowed and, and just clearer in that, um, in that language. Yeah, it's, uh, and I think, I, I'm really glad Laura described earlier the city manager form of government in which, excuse me, city manager form of government in which we operate. Uh, because it, for a lot of residents, you know, it, it, we might watch the news um, in some other city and the, the mayor has fired a police chief or something like that. And then they think, well, if that can happen in that city, uh, then why would it not happen? And why can't the mayor do it here? The mayor fired the planning director or the zoo director, you know, whatever it was. And I think without that stronger, um, you know, kind of education across all of our residents, letting them know this is the form of government in which we operate, then it's hard to know that the city manager is the person, right, who's over those nearly 5,000 employees. Um, so that's... Um, that, that that that's just really important in the the, the experience that councilwoman Hammond just described is is why um, I have I have tried to walk I I you know I literally have anxiety just I just do uh, so in these sorts of instances when someone says hey this person from this department or that department is is concerning to me I'm like oh oh are they okay well here's the city manager's email <laughs> and and phone number. And I'll let you take it from there uh, and just doing everything I can to really remove myself from those situations. Um, Cause I just never want to come across as like, I, I use the heavy hand of my position of power to uh, affect someone else's lives. I think that's uh, particularly important in Oklahoma because Tulsa is the opposite, right? Where they have a strong mayor and, I think we all just assume every city works the same way, and that is definitely not the case. Uh, and those for the two largest cities to be different in that important way, um, especially like when COVID first hit and responses and decisions and all of that. Um, same thing with protests and like there's a lot that goes into it. And um, knowing that the mayors have known each other for a long time and are close makes it more complicated. And so I don't think we can ever reiterate that enough. Um, all right, let's. Go to uh, proposition number six, Laura. Okay, I think proposition six may have been an issue that was raised by the mayor. Uh, so this is a very confusingly worded uh, provision. Like, what is the division of public affairs? Who's in it? Um, and 
sorry, my dog started to <laughs> re-nest in her bed uh, next to me. But we have drafted it to kind of clarify that who's in the public affairs, city manager, municipal counselor, and how all of that, that works. To Hopefully this is clearer, but um, if it's not, please let us know and we'll have to try again. <laughs> Well, and I will say, and I don't put too much stock into this because trolls will troll, but uh, there is one person on Twitter who's decided that I am trying to personally take over all of the city judges <laughs> um, and, and I'm trying to change the chart. It's a whole conspiracy to you know, like change the charter when really truly this is like literally just a language change because of how confusing it is. What does council have control over? Um, and uh, and who is under that? And so, like, I was someone responded to that person was like, no, literally, they already do. <laughs> um, and and I was like, yeah, they we do. We like li literally, I was in a meeting where we like set their salaries that one time. Um, so so I think there is some of it is is just confusing, uh, just because of people, you know, general education of people not necessarily knowing what what council specifically oversees. Um, but also, you know, sometimes I think, I know I can, I've been in this position where I see some language and I'm like, yeah, this looks real fishy. And it's literally just like semantics, like changing, <laughs> changing things to simplify and kind of streamline the, the, the language around it. So fun functionally, this changes nothing. This is just like clarifying, like making the words match what happens. Right. And um, I will say for uh, proposition six, there's a typo in the ballot summary. Um, so we've gotten a lot of calls about that, but it is a, a word that we're not proposing to change. I think it says compromise instead of comprise. And the uh, textual amendments that were, were published uh, by the, the city clerk are correct. The charter currently reads comprise. It would continue to read comprise. So um, we've, we've gotten a lot of calls on that. And so I want to take the opportunity to clarify that. I don't think it has any kind of legal consequence that we have a typo. I think it's it's minor. It's a Scrivener's error. We can explain it, um, particularly when it's not a provision of the charter. We're, we're not proposing to change that word. So PSA, typos happen, even, yeah. even in the modern era. All right, so Prop 7. Um, Prop 7 would change the term councilman to council member or counselor, where the charter refers to council representatives. Um, Laura, could you talk about that for us? Sure. So that's just as straightforward as it sounds. Uh, right now, the uh, charter uses pretty much throughout uh, the word councilman and council, councilman, councilmen, um, and that's not... Um, that's not appropriate. That's not so, accurate in any way. <laughs> right. <laughs> so um, this would be updating all of the the applicable provisions. So we have that as drafted as more of a catch-all so that our office would work with the city clerk to go back through the charter rather than list every single place. You don't, I was, so I was going to say, do you have to do like, do you have to, like, does each one have to be like its own thing? Or can you be like, no, we're going to change this word in the whole document? That's yeah, we have it drafted. So it's we'll change this word throughout the charter um, rather than list every single charter provision that might say councilman in it, because that would be an, an extremely lengthy ballot. Sure, sure. So simple, straightforward, but no less important for that. Yes. And I believe this was a change recommended by Councilperson Cooper. 
Councilwoman Hammond, I saw you unmuted. Well, I was just going to say um, that I was, because I know when both municipal codes, but also the charter gets updated, there's like a, there'll sometimes be like a little like, this was, you know, 1933 that, or, you know, whatever that vote took place that made that update. So are we essentially to assume that this was probably how it was written when the charter was first chartered and, and this change is like literally just been through the history of our city. It's always had this language. And because as far as I know, I remember when I like flipped through the charter to like see, Oh, when was this sort of thing changed? There was no, there's nothing indicating that anything like that had been considered before. Right. Yeah. I, I think it's just always been the, the masculine. When I believe when yeah. the city was founded, we didn't have any women city councilors or non-male identifying city councilors. And so um, this is another example of a charter change that is adapting to the times as diverse representation continues to reflect our, our city and, and governmental entities. Which was why I proposed it. You know, I had been, I think that's a great description of it. You know, I'd been by that, by this time, well, yeah, by the time the committee was meeting, um, I'd served with uh, Councilwoman Hammond and Councilwoman Nice uh, for the past year. And they are, as we know, our city's 10th and 11th uh, women to serve on city council. And uh, which is super cool to serve with both of them at the same time. It's like just walking through history with them. It's, it's really cool. Um, and uh, to see them serve at the same time too, right? Uh, in the same way that Councilwoman Nice and I are the first time where two biracial or black individuals have served on city council at the same time. Um, or I'm the first biracial or black person outside of Ward 7 uh, to serve on city council and first openly LGBTQ representative. Like it's just reflecting more broadly our, our, um, our city. And um, I, I always think of my middle school students and, um, and the fact that language matters, whether it was um, that Martin Luther Protestant Reformation moment or the declaration or the constitution and what the language says sets the tone for what our people believe is possible. Oh, I love that. Um, that's yeah. Perfect. Um, we have two more, um, proposition eight. Um, and just so we have time to try and get to a couple listener questions, Laura, what's the, what's, what's up with prop eight? What's the, the, that's extremely straightforward. I think it's just, um, revising the, what the city's powers are and like we can do things, um, to advance public health, safety, welfare. I think it, adds uh, welfare to the list of powers. So um, it's not nothing terribly earth shattering. Beautiful. Do we have any comment from our, our representatives from council? As someone who took the oath of office on the constitution, uh, this is sort of a uh, Yeah, it's just right there. It's just yep. literally right there in our US constitution. And I thought, well, I didn't propose this one, but I think it was one of our municipal counselors and when that happened, I was like, it wasn't there. Really <laughs> cool. So that no brainer. 
Bailey, you got the last one? Oh, not me explaining, but Laura, what is Proposition 9? What does it tell us and what do we need to know about it? So the way that that was, is worded right now in the charter is also really confusing. And it talks about when um, city employees and officials can receive free things. And I know that some people have had questions about, like, is, this, is this provision to um, make it such that you know, city employees can get free services? Like, no, no, no. This is just that we could, if I happen to be watching City Channel 20 on Cox while I'm at the office and it is that I'm watching the city council meeting, that I'm not having to pay for that Cox subscription. So it is while I'm performing my city employee duties that I'm, so it, it just clarifies that section and takes out some antiquated terms about. Like, I think it was like heating factories or something odd that's no longer good. So definitely do for an update then. Yes. Awesome. So nine changes to the city charter. Um, and I don't know, I love this because these are all things that, with a couple of exceptions, probably seem fairly mundane, but are actually, I think, probably really important to do. Um, like some are very, you know, in terms of changing words like councilmen are really important to like show respect to the people who serve on the council as well as the people they represent. Some of them are just like good sense <laughs> in terms of like cleaning up language, but man, I'm, I'm a government nerd and, and stuff like this is why. So uh, this makes this makes me happy. Well, we're now going to move into our question that we received from let's fix this, let's pod this listener. So thank you all for tuning in and sending questions early. Um, if there are things that can't be answered now, we could try to get an answer um, and send it in the show notes at another time. Um, so one of the comments that was made by a listener, and maybe Elizabeth, we could start with you to um, get some perspective on it. We touched on it a little bit earlier, uh, but the language of the charter is designed to exclude a lay person from participating. The modernization, it was put in quotations, of language doesn't seem to fix this. Can you um, touch on that sentiment and then discuss, uh, again, ways that people can engage in this process and feel more um, included in, in language? Yes, um, I have been so fortunate as to be an incredibly highly educated person. And even for, and my first language is English. And even I uh, struggled through the document. However, I don't want to flood Laura's emails with every thought that every human who lives in this enormous city has ever had. But I will say that I think the more that residents think about bureaucratic city staff, people who are not elected, but who work for the city as um, experts on whom they can call to better understand the way that our city works. I think that that helps drop that barrier. You can send Laura an email and ask her a question about something that you don't understand. And she is incredibly kind and articulate and prompt in her responses. And then you'll be set. So I think that's what I would say. Um, encouraging people to think about city staff as um, 
resources for our understanding because they do have ex expertise in, in this case, legal language. And so think about them as those resources. And one quick thing I, I want to add before we add other perspective from um, our council members and our city attorney is that um, the language is written in legal language to ensure that it specifies and does the thing that we think it's going to do. And so while that language is complicated, it's important that we're expressing it in the charter in the way that it gets it right to execute and do the thing that we think we're voting on. So anybody else have feedback on that? Yeah, and I think from my, I mean, I'm with Elizabeth, like I was like, before the charter change review committee, I had all these high hopes. I was like, I'm gonna sit down with the charter and I'm like, like I have time to do that, right? Like, and so I think um, there's a piece to it that like, even, I mean, and I think there is this like idea that council members even are like somehow like know everything or like once you're like, you're like, and I think that too is, there's that element I remember even running of people being like, well, what qualifies you to like be, you know? And I think there's that sense that like, you have to like be a lawyer to run for office or you have to like be in business to run for office um, because you're supposed to be able to like speak in this specific type of language. And um, yeah, and, and I just like, I still struggle with our agendas, like, cause they're, they're very boring. <laughs> they're very they're very dry right like they're just because they're written in this language that is not my I, i've not been trained to to read like that and to and so a lot of it is um trust like trusting that you're that our staff are you know able to provide us um that support and that be that resource but that also that we can be that bridge to those staff members so you know sometimes people will come to me with questions and i'm like i don't really know how uh, you know, what that infrastructure name means, what that means, or, you know, and so let me connect you to our public works department. And I think similarly with, with things like the charter, um, that's where that, like, kind of how Liz was saying, um, just that, that pulling on resources of those experts, um, that like, they're there, that's what they're, they're there for. And, um, and like Liz said, like, in more than, more often than not, I have, um, they they seem very eager to, be helpful and be, be supportive in that way. Um, because it, not everyone's gonna have that uh, expertise or knowledge. Um, and and like we, we need one another to walk each other through it. Cause I can add like, and I think that's to me what makes a person qualified to be in office is just the ability to ask questions and be inquisitive um, and not feel dumb for asking questions <laughs> or yeah, you not not be quiet because I've think I'm, you know, going to be seen as dumb. It's just, I don't know what I don't know. And that's not my, you know, my, my, my wheelhouse. So we have a couple other questions and these, I'm going to kind of go a little bit rapid fire. Cause we're on running short on time. One question, Laura, is something that I think there may just be a pretty straightforward answer to, because you alluded to it earlier. Um, we had a, a listener ask that or notice that public notice seemed like it was only placed in the journal record, which is a great newspaper. I'm a subscriber and I love it, but it's probably the least widely read of the newspapers in folks in Oklahoma City. Um, why, why the journal record? I think that there is a state law provision that points to the journal record. Well, not it doesn't name the journal record specifically, but I think there is, there is something 
I'll have to look it up and I can I can send you the citation. No, that's there. fine. But there's like it's not just like oh we picked the journal record. It's like there's something that requires it to be in that newspaper. Right. And, yeah. Super interesting. And so there's a little I I have learned because I think the journal record is literally called that because it was the business paper that was the journal of record for all of these sorts of public notices when during statehood and things and so that like I, I put that together I was like wait journal of record why is that a term I keep hearing when we're posting notices and I think that's literally why they ended up calling themselves that that's super I, interesting to add on to that I mean you run into the same thing with statewide documents right so like um, if you submit a ballot initiative they have to publish it in papers and they always do journal record I think the Secretary of State typically does the Oklahoma and the Tulsa world but there's some discussion I don't know if in Oklahoma, but certainly around the country of this uh, tradition of, of putting things in papers is like diminishing, right? Because as, as subscriber rates diminish, there's like a, you know, an argument to be made that like, would it be better to publish it on the website or those? I mean, they often do those things too, but this definition of what it means to be published is, I think, is evolving along with our society. Scott, and do you have then, one more question? Yes. Lastly, so in Proposition 1, there is a reference to more than eight wards. Um, are there plans to expand the number of wards? I know this is something that, like, I feel like it comes up on Twitter, like, every 18 months or so, and it's, like, <laughs> lots of, like, a flutter and consternation for, like, a couple of weeks about how, like, we don't have enough wards and we should have, like, you know, 30 or something instead, but we don't. So, like, is there a plan or, like, is there thought that at some point we would need to increase the number of wards? Is that why that's in there or, like, why the, why the reference to more than eight wards? So I'll go ahead and try and answer that quickly and then I'll defer to the council members. But uh, that is something that could be done by ordinance. The additional uh, seats could be added and we do have redistricting coming up here after the census. So that'll be taking place in 2021. So that's gonna, there's gonna be a larger conversation I anticipate um, in light of the, the census. And then that's something that council would be up to council whether or not um, to add additional wards. Yeah, at the very end of our um, like our final meeting after that was over, I spoke with our municipal council and they walked me through what that process would look like. And um, it seems like as we learn what that census result looks like next fall, uh, um, then we'll have a better uh, sense of, of what what number of words uh, <laughs> most different representative uh, democracy. And as a final note, hey, uh, Go fill out your census. Go fill out your census. Our neighborhoods depend on you. <laughs> I made that long up right then. You're welcome. Oh my God, this is recorded. It's true. It's true. Yes. Please, please fill out your census. And please, before, as as we said before, before we, uh, before we, we took you guys out of the green room, we had a. Uh, a prolonged uh, soliloquy on registering to vote and not waiting until October 27th to request your absentee ballot. So um, I think that's going to wrap us up. For I have one last thing. Oh, yes. So before we, I know we don't have too much time, but um, to just sort of build on that Twitter conversation that pops up, the other one to, that tends to pop up that does have to be a charter amendment is council member pay. So right now, council members make $12,000 a year per the charter, which I don't believe has been updated since like, I think it was the early 90s maybe is the last time that was a, there was a vote on that. 
Um, so even then, not a lot of money, but, um, and the count, the mayor, I believe it is 24,000. And I know it's like really taboo for elected officials to be like, you should pay me more money. But I just want to, for anyone who, because I constantly see this conversation happen in, in the world is that, yes, I, I don't love the idea of elected officials, like being like, yeah, pay me more. But the other piece to that is unless you pay your elected officials enough to be a full-time job, you only get them part-time. Yep. So like literally right now at the beginning of this, I was multitasking because my full-time job is like the, my biggest project of the year is literally in like five days. <laughs> so, um, so like I am unable to answer phone calls related to council. I'm unable to answer email right now. And, um, and, and, on in the best of times, I'm usually two months behind. <laughs> so I think that is another conversation that going forward as, you know, we, we hopefully someday get out of COVID and our economy is a little bit better, um, is a conversation I know that I'm interested in having. Um, and and I, I've talked with other elected officials more generally, not necessarily at the city level, but multiple levels who are also interested in that because they know what it means to have people who have worked in nonprofits, people who have been teachers, people who have kids, people who have student debt um, running for office and feeling like it's something that they can actually survive on rather than um, having to take multiple jobs and only be partially available for their constituents. And I know we're on the end of time right now, but I must add, going back to what Elizabeth said about being able to have access to the charter and knowing what our governing documents are, you know, and as Laura mentioned the last time residents updated our charter was about a summer ago. I quit my job where we finally got a teacher raise, as you all recall. Uh, I quit my job and I probably, I refuse to believe I when I do taxes next year that I will make above $30,000. Like teaching two adjunct jobs at OCU and UCO that 12,000 uh, councilwoman Hammond just noted a year from city council. Uh, no, I do this because I love being in the classroom. You heard those conversations I said I was having with my students. I love those. And I love our neighborhoods and uh, I love civics. And I, I, I and councilwoman Hammond working in mental health, like she's not doing that for the money either. Uh, I believe she ran a campaign talking about how do we address homelessness, you know? Like we're doing this because people, and I'm not saying everyone who makes a lot, of, a whole bunch of money doesn't think like that, but I've seen too often in our history, not just in America, but across the world, where sometimes folk are detached from the way everyday um, people are living their lives. And I would argue because Councilwoman Ham and I and Nice uh, are so in that struggle with people <laughs> and making sure we're paying our bills, it makes it more relatable for us. Um, but I'll tell you, I would love in a, mo a moment to flip this all around and for my council position to be the full-time one. And I was teaching an adjunct class at OCU and adjunct class at UCO and be able to dedicate full-time to emails and phone calls and meeting with constituents. I would love it. You, you don't have to be worried about coming on our show and advocating for higher pay for elected officials. Uh, I think, uh, I mean, I'm on board. So, uh, uh, I think but that probably... I think that probably is going to have to do us for today. Um, thank you so much to all of our guests, uh, Councilwoman Joe Beth Hammond, Councilman James Cooper, Laura McDevitt, Liz Sidler. Si Sidler or Sidler? I'm sorry. Sidler. Sidler. 
Siddler from Generation Citizen. And as always, Bailey, Andy, it's a real pleasure. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, listeners uh, Thank you very and much. viewers. And uh, I apologize. I, I think there's been audio issues along the way. Uh, so if you're listening to this on your podcast app after the fact, I, I probably put a disclaimer at the beginning to apologize. It's a weird time. The internet doesn't always cooperate. And this is um, the this every- is the biggest panel we've ever had, like in person or virtual. So I think we did pretty well. That's right. That's oh, right. I'm sorry. I have to just say one more thing about that. Thing. I want you to know that was up for conversation, and we put it aside because to have that conversation during a historic pandemic with the unemployment rate, what it is, and all that, like absolutely not. But there will come a time where we have that conversation. But now, we've got some more work ahead of us to get the people what they need. Thank you, Catherine Cooper. Uh, and also, too, I want to echo what David Glover put on Facebook here in the chat, that if you are interested in running for city council in Oklahoma City, uh, filing is in December. There are four seats that will be up for election, uh, which is almost half the, the council, so that's a big deal. Um, all right, on behalf of everyone at Let's Fix This, Let's Pod This, and my dog who is anxious to go outside downstairs, thank you for listening. Everyone, uh, stay safe and have a great week. Right.